Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I'd like to invite you to turn with me, if you would please, in your Bibles to the book of Titus. The book of Titus and chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, this morning I would like to share with you about sound doctrine for Christian wives. It's been a long time in coming, but finally we arrived. Amen. I've been wanting to talk to Christian wives for a long time, but we never were able to get to it. So I stored it all up. Look out. (laughs) No, we've got some good things to share with you. Titus chapter 2, notice verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Paul here, of course, writing to Titus as a young man of God, sharing with him that he's responsible to share wholesome doctrine. Well, what is wholesome doctrine? What is sound truth? It is that which makes moral fiber. Everybody say moral fiber. God's looking for moral fiber in people's lives. Amen? It's that which builds... Godly character. Everybody say godly character. We know that we have our human character, but thank God for godly character. It's above ours. Amen? And we need that in our lives. It's also that which produces soundness of mind. Thank God for a sound mind. In the days in which we live, we've got more thoughts flying across our minds that we can even imagine because of all the things around us. The mind is constantly being targeted like never before. Thank God for a sound mind. It's also doctrine that produces a healthy spiritual life. God wants us all to have a healthy spiritual life. If you read throughout the entire chapter here, you'll notice it's also talking about his responsibility to tailor the Word of God to fit every age and condition of life. In other words, whether you're young, whether you're old, male or female doesn't matter what your position is in life. Everyone needs to hear truth that pertains or is relevant to his or her own life. And in particular, his or her own age. You know, when you're in a specific age group, it's important that you hear specific things. That's why we have our classes for our young people. Sometimes people question, you know, why do we dismiss our young people? Well, we want them to go into their own classes so that in their own setting, their own age group, they can hear things that are relevant to their lives at that particular time of their lives. Well, why is this important? Well, as we study this and focus in on Christian wives and women in particular, you'll notice why. Our objective objective is to teach sound doctrine so that we can produce strong Christian women. But the reason for it is because women have dangers according to their age. Did you know that? Look at verse 3. The age women lies that their behavior has become of holiness, not false accusers, and not given to... Too much wine, teachers of good things. Now, did you ever thought and think about that for a moment? Older women can be tempted in their lives to seek the excitement of stimulants and slander. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I read that and I thought, oh my goodness. 
This woman must have had like 37 kids. And once she got these kids all raised and had the last bar mitzvah, she invited the other ladies over for uh, ripple and slander. <laughs> Ready to pass out <laughs> after teaching that last kid. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what it says. They shouldn't be given to much wine <laughs> and slanderous. Well, what about the younger? I just can't see that in the older women, but that's what he said. Must have been a problem of the day. Amen. <laughs> Unless some women are hiding their <laughs> ripple out on. It also talks about the young women. See, young women have other temptations. That is, to impurity of life and inconsistency of conduct. See, the younger person he talks to here in other places... Of course, Paul addresses the fact that younger women need to keep themselves busy with right things because as a young person, they can be given over to an impure life, a life of inconsistency when it comes to their right conduct before God. He also talks about women's duties and responsibilities according to their age. If you read through this, you'll discover he talks about young women need to be obedient. Some of you young ladies out there, you might think, well, this isn't relevant to my life. Well, yes, it is. Young women need to be obedient to, to gospel truth. As a matter of fact, if you read throughout all the Word of God, you'll start finding and discovering that God expects and mandates obedience from young people. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's to be assumed that parents are in the Lord and they are following His desires for their lives and they're passing those truths that they have learned down to their children's lives and children are to be obedient to their parents in the Lord. It's the right thing to do. But doesn't that mean that parents then need to be obedient to God and they need to teach their children right things? Absolutely. But young people need to understand that God mandates obedience in their lives. Because if they're obedient to conduct themselves in a proper manner, then they won't be tempted to be given over to impurity of life and inconsistency of conduct. Middle-aged, if you read on through here, you'll discover they are required to be good keepers of the home. Uh-oh. That job again, good keepers of the home. I mean, you say that in the 90s and it's like you've cussed or something. Right? You're just a housewife? What do you mean, just a? My goodness, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But still, they're supposed to be good keepers of the home. That's what the Word of God teaches. Middle-aged women, their duties and responsibilities center around the home and the home life. And I realize that might be hard to communicate in the 90s. Nevertheless, it's biblical, it's true. And how many of you know that God doesn't change His mind? And God doesn't change His way of thinking and of doing things. Now, the world might change. And people's views might change, but God never changes. Amen? Amen. And then, of course, talking about uh, the elderly or the older, however you want to say that, it says the aged women, that there in verse 3 talks about the aged women. They're not supposed to be given over to, to ripple and slander, are they? They're supposed to be mistress, mistresses of honor, capable of teaching the younger women certain things. You see, younger women are supposed to look up to the older 
Christian women and glean light from their lives and learn how to pattern their lives after them so they too then can become the child of God that God wants them to be. This is how God intended it to be. The older women have responsibility. See, someone thought, I'm going to retire now that I'm elderly. No, you're not. You better get refired and start teaching the young ones. That's what's wrong in our society today. Did you know that? Young people are rebelling. They rebel against authority. They don't want to obey their parents. They don't want to obey anybody. They don't want to be subject to anyone or anything. And that's wrong. That's how you're going to destroy any nation or any land or any structure whatsoever. A house divided cannot stand. And so God intended that we teach our young people. And the aged or the older women teach younger women to do certain things. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But they're supposed to be mistresses of honor, well capable of instructing by their word and by their example the younger women. I want you to turn with me before we explore some of these truths to the book of 1 Corinthians. You can put your bookmark there if you like because we will be getting back to Titus. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, we want to maybe lay a foundation that will help us better understand from the perspective of a Christian woman, woman, God's intended purpose for her life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now, I know in today's women's lib movement, they would not like to hear a statement like that. And to be frank about it, they have brainwashed many women's minds, making them think that they are independent of man. And they can live independent of man or be independent of man. Yet, once again, God does not change. God's plans don't change. God's purposes don't change. He's always the same, right? He's the author of life, the creator of life, and we must be subject to Him in all things. Here it says that the woman originated from man and not man from the woman. Neither was the man created for the woman, in verse 9, but the woman for the man. Boy, some guys out there like to say, stop right there, preacher, that's enough. Just run with that and say, you've been made for me, that's all there is to it. <laughs> well, that's true. The woman originated from the man and was created for man's sake. In other words, eliminate all men from the earth and women would think they have a wonderful society. No, that's not true. There wouldn't be any women. That's true. Because the woman was made for the man. Honey, you were made for me. <laughs> See, your wives out there should say, Honey, I was made for you. You see what kind of a mindset that establishes, though? You weren't made for a career. I didn't say you couldn't have one. I said you weren't made for one. That's not why God made you. God made you for your husband. Ouch. It's true. That's what the Word of God teaches. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1. We better lay a better foundation because I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. <laughs> Now, 
Genesis chapter 1. You know the creation story. In Genesis 1, 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Men and women are to work together in order to fulfill the plan of God for human life on earth. And that's exactly what's being stated here. But as far as God's divine order of things, He made the man first and then He made the woman for the man. And together they were to fulfill His plan for human life. So we can't live apart from each other. We need each other. And those who think that God is a woman, well, they've got another thought coming. To be frank about it, God's perfect image can only be seen when the woman and the man come together as one. Then you have the completed image of God. For there is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. Both male and female come together and they combined make up all the attributes of God. That's why the man can't say to his wife, well, even though we're different, I don't need you. Oh, yes, you need her. I know that, you know, some slang statements in the world that, you know, that are, that are said because of, of, of our differences. And I'm sure it goes both ways. You've heard men say, you know, women, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. And it's been said the other way too. Men, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. Why? Because it's true. Although we differ, we need each other. And if we are going to fulfill the plan of God, we have to do it together. A house divided can't stand. That was God's intention from the beginning. And so men that are out there trying to do it on their own, thinking that they don't need their wives, they're wrong. And women that are out there trying to do it on their own, thinking they don't need their husbands, they're wrong. See, the rule is we need each other. As a matter of fact, look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And God said, and the Lord said rather, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. Now, in this verse of Scripture, I believe we have outlined two special purposes for the woman. Now, God has already said, back in Genesis 1, after He blessed man and woman and said, Be fruitful, replenish the earth, have authority or dominion and use it, subdue the earth, bring it under your control by the exertion of your will. I want to get to that because I believe that's an important statement in a moment. God outlines right here for the woman her purpose in life. And there's two special purposes here revealed. Number one, to be his best friend and companion. And number two, to be a helper designed to meet his needs. To be his best friend and companion and to be a helper designed to meet his needs. Notice it doesn't say for a career. It doesn't say for individual fame or fortune or success. 
It's talking about the reason why Eve was made. In other words, the reason why the woman was created to be joined unto her man so that the two of them would fulfill God's will for human life on earth and her special purposes include being his best friend and companion and his perfect helper designed to meet his needs. Now, beloved, think about that for a moment. That's been lost in the shuffle somewhere. If a woman is out there and she doesn't feel that her life has purpose, it's probably because she has not looked inside her heart and realized that she was made for her man. And not realize that her life is important to God and it's important that she loves her husband and becomes his best friend and companion and stands by his side in every endeavor. And if that's not important, then something is wrong on the inside of her. Now, we're, I'm not up here judging just what kind of person you're married to. You understand that? We're talking about God's intended purpose from the beginning. And I think Adam was okay. What about you? How many of you think Adam was okay? He was an okay kind of guy. You believe that? I believe that. But we're talking about the way God planned it and God designed it from the very beginning. So if a woman is looking for fulfillment in other areas, she's looking in the wrong place. Your purpose is found in your husband and God's plan for your lives together. Be his best friend, stand by his side, help him fulfill the plan of God on this earth. And if that means nothing, then as I said, something is wrong. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 there. I'm sorry, verse 28. And God blessed them and said unto them, now notice your purpose. Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. You know what subdue it means? Bring it into subjection by an exertion of your will. Listen carefully. Every single one of us wants to be victorious in this life in which we live. Family units want to succeed in overcoming life's challenges, struggles, and problems. The only way we can successfully do that is by husbands and wives, men and women, working together to accomplish that end. Can you see that? And together, not apart from each other, but together, they are to subdue the earth. The age in which we live can be subdued if we bring it into subjection by the exertion of our will. Both. Man and woman, male and female, husband and wife. A house divided can't stand. Let's put it this way. A house divided can't subdue the earth. Can you see that? It'll never subdue the earth. We must bring it into subjection by the exertion of our will. And what did Eve will? She didn't obey God. And let's not just call her the culprit. Adam didn't obey God either. And as a result of their rebellion, God's plan was, was thwarted at that particular time. Also, we have to remember that the woman was not created to be her husband's slave. This is not talking about slavery. She is to cooperate with him to successfully subdue the earth. And in so doing... God's blessing would be upon them and they would be able to achieve fullness of life. Well, you know as well as I do what God formed, sin deformed. And unless transformed, 
men and women will never fulfill the will of God. That's why every single one of us needs to be transformed by the life-changing power of God. I don't know about you, but my spirit wants to climb the heights so I can subdue the world in which I live. What about your spirit? But I also recognize I can't do it on my own. I need my wife. She needs me. And together, we will cooperate with each other so that together our spirits soar and climb the heights and we subdue the earth by the exertion of our will. I have to will it and she has to will it and we must exert our will in harmony with the will of God to take control over our lives. If we don't take control of our lives, beloved, no one will. We can battle life's problems together successfully if we join forces together. If one can chase a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. And this is what God intended. He intended that the marital relationship be the most powerful force on earth. Two agreed. Adam and Eve, united together as one, husband and wife, exerting their will, subduing the earth, bringing it into subjection. Can you see why Satan doesn't want husbands and wives joining together? Man, bring division to the family, and what do you have? Chaos. What do you have? Paralyzed faith. What do you have? Inability to subdue the earth. And so we go through life's difficulties and struggles and challenges, but we don't have enough power that we need to overcome because we're not working together. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. People need transformed because what God formed, sin deformed. They need born again and they need to have their minds renewed so that they're not conformed to this world. Every single one of us, unless we exert our will, will remain conformed to this world system. How many of you know that? The only way that you made a break from the world was by being transformed by the life-changing power of God. When you made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, you made a break from the kingdom of darkness and from this world system. You're no longer a friend of the world. You're a friend of God. You no longer represent uh, the demon powers of this age. You represent the power of the living God. And you are here to exert your will in harmony with the will of God so that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen to that? And that's why God wants us to work together because we're stronger when we work together. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to show you how Paul understood this by the Holy Ghost. And he gave revelation to the church so that men and women together could learn how to come together, cooperate with each other, and take their rightful place and fulfill their responsibilities and duties under God so that this purpose in God's will would be achieved. In Ephesians 5, and beginning at verse 22. Wives, now notice we're focusing on wives today. So these are the things that Christian wives are to do. And you younger women that are out there, you might say, I'm not married, but this is for you also, because you have a lot to learn before you ever get married. A lot to learn. As a matter of fact, let me interject something right here and right now because I don't want to forget to say this. You younger women that are out there, 
You need to, first of all, learn from your godly Christian mother as much as you possibly can. You need to glean as much light as you possibly can from her example and from her life. You need to learn what it really means to be, first of all, a Christian woman. One who loves God, one who serves God, one whose will is dedicated to do the will of God. I have to understand also from her what it means to be a Christian wife. And glean as much light as you can along that line. Because she is your teacher and she is your example. But also some of you young married women that are out there know this too. Because God said in His Word that your life really is to be given over to your husband so that the two of you can make one social unit under God that pleases Him and serves Him. You need to glean as much light as you can from your mother-in-law. Your Christian mother-in-law who is godly. Who knows your husband better than she. She knows him quite well, doesn't she? See, sometimes I think we have neglected to use all that God has provided. Now, I'm not talking about letting her be someone who interferes with your marital relationship. I'm talking about developing a rapport with her so that you can learn as much as you possibly can about your husband so that you know how to please him. Especially when you're first married. What's his favorite meal? What does he enjoy doing? Etc., etc. You can learn a lot from your mother-in-law as well as from your mother, uh, you know, about the relationship and then, of course, about your husband's life. But if we ignore all that and forget about all that, then you might have a harder road to hoe. Take advantage of all those things that are out there. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Let's read these verses first. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I want to pull out some words here I think that will help us. First of all, wives are to, number one, everybody say submit. Ouch. Boy, that hurts. Especially in our day, doesn't it? We're living in a time when young people don't want to submit to anyone or anything. Parents, teachers, school, law, whatever. We all have to submit to God. God set up a divine order. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, right? Father, Son, Holy Ghost, husbands, wives, children. That's God's divine flow of power right there. It's talking about rank. Husbands are to have authority or the headship over the wife. And wives are to submit to that. And once again, I realize it's hard for people in this day in which we live to be submissive. But nevertheless, the Word of God doesn't change. Wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. The word submit means to yield to their authority as the head of the union. And beloved, when you have a situation where the wife is more dominant and the wife takes over the headship of the family, you know that messes up the children. Come on, say amen or oh my. That messes up the children. What kind of an example you see is that? 
men have to be in authority and take the headship so that the children can see God's divine order. And the wife needs to make it very clear, no matter how you feel about it, if Dad said so, then we must submit to his authority. Daddy is the head of this family unit. She needs to do all that she can to make it very clear that her husband is in leadership over that family. And once again, you understand, I understand that when I say this, I've got all kinds of minds cooking right now, but you don't know my husband, and you don't know this. And I'm, I'm, we're talking about God's ideal situation. We're not talking about a counseling session for people having problems in their marriage or whose husband isn't following the Lord. You understand that? Give me that benefit right here. We're talking about if God had His way, the husband would be loving Christ, right? Submitting to Him. And then the wife is submissive to the husband in all things. But what I'm saying is Christian wives or women need to learn to submit or yield to authority. We gave up our right to independence when we got married, so we must learn to yield to authority willfully. Secondly, another word, it says, be subject. Be subject. This is even stronger. To owe obedience or allegiance to. Do you ever go to school every single day having to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America? I can see you waking up in the morning and say, I pledge allegiance to my husband. From whom I came. But think about that for a moment. Why were we continually doing that every single day? To remind us to be loyal to our nation. Right? I believe women need to be reminded on a daily basis that you are to be subject to your mate, to your husband. That means you owe your allegiance to him. You owe obedience to him. And even get stronger than that. Look at the last part of verse 33. And the wife see that she, uh-oh, reverence means to honor and to admire profoundly and respectfully. To honor and to admire profoundly and respectfully. Can you imagine this being handed down to a young person that doesn't know anything about life and you take them into a society where they are taught that as they grow up, they need to learn how to be submissive in subjection to and reverence their husbands. And they're being trained in this. Because when you find this fellow that you're going to marry, you have to yield to his authority. You owe him your allegiance and obedience. And you have to honor and admire him profoundly and respectfully. Wow. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Isn't that pretty strong? Can you see how God set things up? But I know what you're going to say, but brother, that statement was made in the light of the fact that husbands are supposed to be loving their wives as Christ loves the church. I know, we've said that so often, we're wearing it out. So let's back up and say something else. It was also made in another light. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, wait a minute. 
How many of you know that even if your husband loves Christ with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's still imperfect? I know it's hard to believe, but... <laughs> he's still imperfect, right? Can you say amen, ladies? Right, he's still imperfect, right? But did you know that you were told to be in subjected subjection to him as the church is to Christ in light of his imperfections? In light of his shortcomings? You owe your allegiance to him in light of his imperfections and in light of his shortcomings. You are to reverence him in light of his imperfections and in light of his shortcomings. Look at 1 Peter, uh, if you would please, chapter 3 to show you. Your husband's imperfections do not exempt you from your biblical duties. Ooh. Come on, ladies, amen. <laughs> your husband's imperfections do not exempt you from your biblical duties. Come on, guys, amen. All right. <laughs> I knew I'd get a hearty amen from the guys. <laughs> Isn't that true? I'll show it to you, First Peter chapter 3. Well, I hear some guys saying, preach it out there. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. Now, let's stop there just for a moment. And I want you to... Underline or underscore or highlight, obey not. Obey not there actually means deliberately set themselves up against the truth. That's not talking about someone, let's just say, who's just not doing what he should be doing. This person was somebody who is set against the truth. It's like a heathen who vocally states, I'm against Christ. Wow, that's pretty strong. Well, what's a Christian wife to do? Be in subjection to your own husband that if he obeys not the truth, they also may, now notice, without the word, underline that expression, it means that by the witness of your conduct and behavior without preaching, they then could be won to the Lord. It's not your preaching that's going to win them. It's not your teaching that's going to win them. It's not your screaming that's going to win them. It's not your complaining or any of that that's going to win them. What is that which is going to win them is your conduct and your behavior as a child of God. And as it says right here, it's your chaste or your pure living before God coupled with godly reverential fear of God. You love God, you fear God so much that you are in subjection to Him. Now, that's not talking about outside of the boundaries of the gospel. That's not talking about if He tells you to do something that is immoral. And once again, we're talking about situations I know that are different out there in the congregation and in people's lives. Nevertheless, if you find yourself in this setting or in this situation as a Christian wife whose husband is a heathen set against the gospel, you still are to live a life that your conduct witnesses to him and your behavior witnesses to him. And if he's going to be one, it's not by your preaching, but it's by your living. How many of you know it's harder to live it than it is to preach it? Everybody better say amen to that one. 
So in other words, you can preach it all you want to him, but when he sees you living it, that he's going to be touched and won over. So let's not forget that. That's how you witness. Now going back to the book of Titus, and chapter 2 once again, and there's more to be said in there, but I, for, for sake of time, I want to get over to this. Share with you some more that, that Paul told Titus with regard to teaching Christian women. Have you ever heard people say uh, at one time or another, I wish I lived in Bible days? I've heard people say that a lot of the time. Boy, I wish I lived way back in Bible days. Well, you know what? Young people, listen carefully. Back in Bible days, marriages were prearranged and people didn't marry for love. You still want to be back in Bible days? <laughs> in other words, you didn't see somebody and fall in love with that person. Your parents prearranged your marriage. I mean, some kids don't like their parents prearranging their room. let alone a date or marriage, right? See, love had to be learned afterwards. Your marriage was prearranged by your parents and you had to learn to love that person afterwards. You didn't fall in love first and then get married. You got married and learned to fall in love. Wow. If you think you don't love your husband out there, you're probably basing your thoughts, your thoughts on wrong thinking, on feeling, and rather than the Word of God. So you may think, well, I don't love my husband anymore. I've got to go on with my life. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You're thinking that, and you're basing that thought on feeling. See, God didn't command feeling. He commanded that you learn to love your husband. Well, I know that digs deep, but it, that's where we've got to get. You've been commanded to love your husband, not to have feelings. This walk is one of faith and not of sight or of feeling. Look at verse 4, Titus 2, 4. These aged women or these elderly women were supposed to live a lifestyle or a behavior that becomes holiness and not to be slanderers, not to be drunks or given over to anything that, that's wrong, but to be teachers of good things. And what are they to teach the young women? To teach them, look at verse 4, that they teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at, the home, at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Underlying it all is that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Notice, women, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. So remember, these things that we're about to share with you are being taught as sound doctrine. Why? So that the Word of God be not what? Blasphemed. Okay. The word love here in verse 4 is not the word we always use, agape. It's philandros. And what it means is to be a friend or a companion. And what he is saying is this, that the elderly women will teach the younger women how to be a friend and a companion to their husband. Love may be a feeling that you have, but you know, sometimes they don't know how to be a friend or a companion. 
And in the beginning, didn't God say it wasn't good that man be alone? I'm going to make him a friend. Friendship, companionship, a helpmate, someone suited to help meet his needs and help him fulfill God's will in life. We're not to live apart from each other, but cooperate with each other. And young women need to be taught how to be a friend or a companion to their husbands by older women. There's a lot of information that needs to be handed down. But if we're one of those who grows up thinking, I know it all, and I know that no one in Christian assembly thinks that way, especially a young person, right? Older women to them are, they're older, they're outdated. What do they know? These are the 90s. It's a different age. It's a different time. It's a different era. This is the way we do it. How many know that God hasn't changed? And love between a man and wife hasn't changed. Our environment has changed. Our attitudes have changed. Our minds have changed. And it's time to get renewed. Young women need to be taught to be their husband's best friend and companion. And if you've not been taught that, then something is wrong. And you're entering into your relationship really on a bad note. You've got to be his best friend. Not just ignore the things he, he likes and does in life. You've got to be his best friend. And that's what they were to teach. So as you take your place and you do the will of God by being your husband's best friend and partner, you're acting what? On principle rather than feeling. Now, the technical way to say it is like this. Act upon principle apart from feeling and then the feelings will come. Now, the not-so-technical way to say it is fake it till you make it. All right. <laughs> and then the feelings will come. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Amen. Act upon, it's nicer to say act upon principle <laughs> until the feelings come, and then the feelings will come. So don't just make a statement that you don't love your husband based on a thought or a feeling. See? You're supposed to learn to love him by being his partner and best friend and taking your place. Let's read on. Teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, also to love their children. You say, but that's supposed to be natural. And I'll just very briefly, that's supposed to be natural. It is natural, but there's also things to learn from, from your mother and from your mother-in-law about child training, especially if they're godly Christians. You can learn a lot about befriending even your child. Loving your child, playing the role of a mother and of a father, here in the case, this case, case of a mother, and also um, being a friend that understands. And so, once again, we see there are things that need to be taught to young women, but if young women are closed-minded, they're going to lose out on so much knowledge that's available to them and so much experience that's available to them from the elderly or the older women. And God wants to preserve that. Can you see that? God wants to preserve that. Okay, let's read on. That they, uh, verse 5, that they be discreet. We'll stop there. Discreet means sensible. Women, you're supposed to be sensible, and that includes in the store. <laughs> be sensible in all things. But basically, he's talking about 
be careful about what you say and what you do. Do we have a moment? Be careful about what you say and what you do. You know, what you say about your husband is important. And what you do is important with regard to your husband and his reputation. And you owe him your allegiance and obedience, remember? And you owe him to honor him and admire him profoundly and respectfully, right? You know how quickly many wives speak out against their husbands? Why, that old thing I'm married to? But you don't know this guy. What's lost there? Admiration, respect, honor. Regardless, now remember, the scripture didn't say based on his excellent behavior, based on his flawlessness. No, it says be subject to him based on the fact that he's your husband and God ordained marriage and thus he ordained the husband to be the head of the wife, right? Honor him, love him, reverence him, admire him. Don't be so quick to speak out against him. You'll be judged for that. But you don't understand. Get the butt out. You think God doesn't understand what you're going to? You think God doesn't understand what he's like? Or isn't like? That's getting to reality. You think God doesn't know his flaws and imperfections? God does, but what are you saying? It's better to say nothing than to say the bad thing or the wrong thing. Be discreet. Be sensible in your relationship. Don't do things that will dishonor him. Don't say things that will dishonor him. Even though you may not feel the things are the way you want them to be, how many of you know that you don't get answers to prayer by telling other people about your problems? Take them to God. Talk to him about your husband. Secondly, be chaste. Notice what they're supposed to be taught. Chaste. That means pure. It means walk in holiness. It means preserve your sex life for your husband. Young people, listen. This is being lost in our society today. Be pure. Preserve your sex life for your husband. I mean, that's like taboo today. But that hasn't changed in the sight of God. And then once you're married, see to it that you don't withhold yourself from your husband. Once again, but you don't know. That is not relevant. Do not withhold yourself. Now, there are some situations, I'm, I'm sure, if there's immorality on his part and that sort of thing, you've got to be sensible too. Use common sense. We're not talking, God's not talking about putting yourself in a position where you can get AIDS or something like that. You understand that? We're talking about in a normal relationship of marriage, you're not to withhold yourself from your husband because there was an argument or because of not seeing eye to eye or something like that. You're not to withhold him. Be pure in all things and especially in your sex life. Number three, real quick, we've got to move through this. Keepers at home. Oh my, keepers at home. That low life demeaning position. Isn't that what the 90s, the voice of the 90s would say to housewives today? You're just a housewife. You're not a career woman. That's straight from the pit of hell. Think about it. You dust, you clean, you cook, you iron, you wash, you make the bed, you care for your children, you tax them around. Any lady taxis out there? You shop for bargains, you attend meetings, plus a hundred or a thousand other thankless jobs. Right? Your husband comes home from work and says, Honey, they 
give me a pat on the back and a raise for a job well done. And by the way, you spend too much money and what have you been doing with all your spare time? No wonder she lacks purpose. She's just a housewife. She didn't get a pat on the back and a raise after doing all those other things. Hey, guys, be Mr. Mom for a day. You'd be glad to go back to work. I followed my wife around one day with Carly. When I put my suit on to go to the office, I said, glory, hallelujah. And then I said, God, thank you for gracing her <laughs> with the grace that you have given her. Now, I love Carly, and I, 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 yeah, you could ask my wife, I'll do anything and everything for her. But what I'm saying is, I can't be there as she can be there, and God has graced her to meet that child's every need. God has graced the woman to do that. And, you know, guys, we need to give them more than a pat on the back and a raise. That's true. They deserve a whole lot more. When a woman lacks purpose, they do different things. And this is what causes the demise of the family. Some of them deal with it by getting a real job. Getting a real job. Letting someone else raise the kids. You know what? That's easy. Being a homemaker and raising kids is hard. Working out in the workforce, that's easy compared to a homemaker. But that's a lost art today. There's no purpose in that. There's no self-esteem in that. God hasn't changed what God formed, sin deformed. And anyone who thinks otherwise, now I know there are certain circumstances that mean many women have to work, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about losing sight of the value and importance of being a homemaker. Because if you do have to work outside the house, I'm going to tell you something, God has to give you double grace. Because you still need to be there for your family. Because no one else can do what you can. And so many will, like I said, get a real job and, and let someone else raise the kids. And that's not a solution. Other ones will have an affair with someone who tells them what they want to hear. Because maybe their husband is not doing it in a way that they feel that he should. Yet others, they'll just go on in their misery and complain about what they're going through. And others, they'll just go ahead and get a divorce. They probably would have, but many men are not paying alimony these days. Or they could finally turn their lives over to Christ. Recognize the value and the importance of being a homemaker. And find your purpose of life there where God wants you to be. And let Him be the Lord of your circumstances. You take your place as you should and you'll find out that God will bless you richly in every way. And once again, I realize there are different situations that exist out there. And it's not intended to, to answer everyone's problem or, or answers or questions that they may have to marital problems and that sort of thing. But this is God's general guideline and plan. You housewives and you homemakers out there, you're to be commended for who you are and what you stand for in life. And I want you to know that heaven itself is going to reward you for what you do. You know why? Because God's plan hasn't changed. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, Subdue it. You ready for this? Notice. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, bring it into 
subjection by the exertion of your will, then you're ready for this? Teach your children to do the same. Wow. You see how important that is? But my kid's doing this and... If we would have taught them to do the same, if we were taught to do the same, it goes all the way back to Adam. If we would have been taught to do all that, learn how to subdue the earth. Have we been taught that yet? Have we learned how to subdue the earth? Have we learned how to bring it in subjection by the exertion of our will? And then we see if we haven't, we've got a tough time in life. But if we did learn that and then turn it over to our children and they learned how to do it, can you imagine what kind of a world this would be? For you, for your children, for your family? Well, we can do it as Christians, thank God. Amen? Amen. Let's read on. Number four, to be good. That word good there means kind. Kind or tender-hearted, like in Ephesians 4.32. Women or wives are to be tender-hearted, forgiving, loving, and complimentary. Ladies, you want to get somewhere when it comes to getting things done around the house? Be complimentary. Honey, I just love the way you paint. You're a fine artiste. I would do it myself, but I could not compare to you. Some of you ladies would think, I can do it. That's your problem. <laughs> you see what you're doing? You're saying you can do it instead of complimenting him because if you compliment him, he'll do it. Honey, don't get any ideas about wallpaper hanging. <laughs> now, I know about you guys out there, but wallpaper hanging... Oh, I do it, in, you know, I do it, but <laughs> I don't know if I'm uh, as willing as I am obedient. <laughs> Compliment. Men like to be complimented, and so do women, but men also. Be good to your husband. Compliment him. Tell him, you know, how much you appreciate who he is and what he does and what he can do. You get a whole lot more to somebody if you compliment them than you will if you criticize. Come on, say amen. And then finally, he says, Obedient, oh boy, obedient to their own husbands. And you know what that means? Maintain an attitude. You see, obedience is an attitude. It's an attitude of love that wants to cooperate with this person. Maintain that attitude of love. Honey, I just want to cooperate with you in all that we do. I've never met anybody more cooperative than Krista. I mean to tell you, she is so cooperative that I actually have to make all the decisions. Honey, where would you like to go tonight? I don't know, honey. It's up to you. Honey, what would you like to eat tonight? Honey, I don't care. It's up to you. Is there anything that's up to you, honey? No, it's all up to you. I think she's learned something. In other words, if you pick a bad place to eat, it's your fault. If you don't like what we did tonight, it's your fault. If you don't like the way that was handled, it's your fault. I'm wising up. <laughs> no. Learn to cooperate together that the Word of God... Look at the latter part of the verse. All this that we talked about is so that the Word of God be not blasphemed. You know, we should bow our knee right now to this. Listen carefully. All these statements that are being made is not to put down women or anything like that. It's so that the Word of God's not blasphemed. It's to teach us, men and women, our duties and responsibilities so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not blasphemed. Amen. Now, I know we live in an imperfect, in an imperfect society, 
but still we can achieve God's purposes if we are submissive to his will, both men and women, becoming husbands and wives, doing the will of God. And if you be willing and obedient, Isaiah 119 says, you will eat the good of the land. How many of you want to eat the good of the land? Then we've got to be willing and obedient. And if we will, we'll eat the good of the land. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.